This podcast is supported by an educational grant by Bosch Health, made available through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. Welcome back to JCMS Author Interviews Podcasts. I'm Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery, and today I'll be interviewing Dr. Jan Dutz. Dr. Dutz published an article in our uh, journal, um, November-December 2019, on HLA-B5801 genotyping. This article is pertinent for all of us because it highlights a missed opportunity in Canada to spread the word that East Asians with this allele are at risk if they are prescribed allopurinol. So without further ado, my interview with Dr. Dutz. Thank you, Jan, for joining me today to talk about the article that you published in JCMS um, in volume 23, number six our November-December issue. And I'm really quite keen to hear how um, you've, how this is a, Cana- a missed Canadian opportunity, this allele testing, and how valuable it is and that sort of thing. Because so often, we're confronted with diseases we can do nothing about. And now here's a disease that we can actually prevent uh, with, with uh, a little bit of forethought. So please, help me to understand what took you to do this piece of work? First of all, this this paper is about severe cutaneous adverse drug reactions. So as dermatologists, we often see people with severe disease. Sometimes we see people with diseases that are, in fact, preventable. And uh, drug reactions can, in certain cases, be preventable. So our story actually starts, I, I imagine, in about uh, 2012, when uh, one of my residents, Mark Kirchhoff, uh, decided to do a retrospective review of all the cases of severe drug reaction, and in this case, specifically toxic epidermal necrolysis, that were seen at our site, that is Vancouver General Hospital, and more specifically in the burn unit and intensive care unit. And he and his colleagues, there were a number of other residents and staff, including Dr. Papp, a plastic surgeon, uh, were involved in this. We reviewed all the cases over about a 10-year period. And what we found was that over 10 years, we had a, a little over 60 patients that were admitted to hospital with these severe drug reactions. And, um, of course, they were related to drugs. The most common drug, uh, single drug, that was a culprit in these reactions based on patient history was the drug allopurinol. So allopurinol is a drug that is commonly prescribed to people that have high uric acid and that uh, because of that get episodes of gout or problems with their kidneys. So it's a, it's a relatively commonly prescribed drug uh, to prevent the attacks of gout and hyperuricemia. So what was especially interesting in that sort of 10-year review was that um, although most of the patients in our group were were Caucasian, about just a little under half of those patients admitted to hospital were, were I would say, East Asian, so either Chinese or of... uh, Uh, Filipino descent. And the mortality in that subgroup was much higher than in the Caucasian group. So 
of the patients that were admitted to the ICU with severe adverse drug reactions, uh, the people that were East Asian had a 47% mortality, which was significantly higher than the Caucasians. And in almost all of those patients, the causative drug was allopurinol. So this was something that happened between 2001 and 2011. And it turns out in 2005, there was a very important paper that was published by scientists in Taiwan um, that looked at their population, which are, are uh, uh, Chinese, and that showed that the severe adverse drug reactions to allopurinol were linked to a specific tissue type marker, uh, which we call HLA-B5801. And that people with that marker that were given allopurinol had a much higher risk of getting severe drug reactions. Um, this group in Taiwan has since gone on to show quite um, uh, convincingly that if you did the genotyping test, or if you typed people for HLA before starting them in allopurinol, and you did not put those people with the tissue type at risk, that is the HLA B5801 on the drug, you could prevent virtually all the cases of adverse drug reaction due to allopurinol in Taiwan. Have they managed, just a second, have they managed to um, make that public policy in Taiwan? It would seem something... Correct. So, yeah. So, in, in Taiwan now, it's essentially uh, a good practice and policy to to do this test before you initiate treatment for gout or hyperuricemia with allopurinol. People have looked at this. Uh, uh, we have a colleague uh, based out of Harvard, Hyon Choi, uh, who also works uh, on occasion here in Vancouver. And he did this, a similar analysis using uh, a whole U.S. database uh, and also found that um, there was an increased risk of getting this drug reaction to allopurinol in East Asians. Uh, and they also calculated the cost, efficacy, and the savings if you actually did this genetic testing. And they, uh, they presented data, I guess, in 2016 to show that this was also a cost-effective thing to do in North America within this subpopulation. In fact, the data is, is, is convincing enough that the American College of Rheumatology in their guidelines also suggest that before you put someone of East Asian descent on allopurinol, you should check their tissue type and ensure they are not HLA-B5801. So what we did in this paper is actually uh, looked at how often uh, that genetic test was being done and compared it to how, how often we estimated new starts on allopurinol would be. Uh, it was, this paper, again, was prompted by the observation that in, a fo in this follow-up study, so from 2012 to 2016, um, when we looked at those people that were admitted to hospital uh, with allopurinol-induced drug reactions, again, most of those people, if not all of them, were East Asians, 
All of them had the specific high-risk allele, and none of them had been tested before being started on that drug. Even though by then, that is 2012, publications had been out and guidelines had been out suggesting that this is something that you should do. And the presentation of these patients, which is in the article, these uh, folks had severe disease. Right. So they either get uh, toxic epidermal necrolysis, where you uh, have blisters, where you lose over 30% of your skin surface, and there's a, a significant risk of death, usually between 25 to 35%. Or there were patients getting uh, a similar, slightly different drug reaction called DRESS, um, where um, they get uh, hives and reactions and high eosinophilia with the involvement of other organs. So in both of these cases, these are severe drug reactions with, with significant sequelae. So we, we looked at, over a period of one year, uh, how many people we would estimate, based on our provincial databases, would be started on allopurinol. We calculated uh, what fraction of those would likely, at least in our catchment area, be East Asian. And then we, we compared that to how often the test was actually being run. Um, we, we found that uh, the test is being ordered more and more as we, uh, as we teach people about the importance of this. Uh, but in the year that we uh, analyzed, which uh, uh, was, I believe, 20, um, 2012, um, testing was still being only ordered for under 50% of the at-risk patients. So um, the test was still being underutilized uh, it, to a significant extent. Um, the reasons for that uh, may, 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 do, may be due to education, so that people just don't know that they should be ordering the test. It may be that they don't know how to order the test. In, in uh, our metropolitan area, um, uh, the labs that uh, do the tissue testing uh, routinely do this for the workup of patients in the transplant unit, but the test is available through uh, the public labs. Um, uh, and it, it, it may be that they, that they don't realize that this test actually isn't that expensive. The current cost for that test is about $140. Right. So, so if I was to just have the idea that I need this test, and I don't yeah. have a special immunology um, lab forms. If I put it on my community requisition, I would think that would be yes. enough to alert somebody to either get in touch with me and say you got the wrong requisition or actually proceed with the testing. I mean, ideally, you would put on the requisition, please test for HLA B5801. Because if you put test for uh, allergy to allopurinol, I think that would make the lab technician somewhat confused. So, so there is a kernel of knowledge that probably has to be there to order the appropriate test. But if you remember that you have to order HLA-B5801 before starting allopurinol, then I think you're in the right position to order the right test before starting the drug. So yesterday I had opportunity to talk to a group of pharmacists Yes. And I knew what, what you and I were going to be talking about today. And so I asked them, I said, what's your counseling with respect to allopurinol? allopurinol. Of course, yeah. they had not heard of this 
uh, allele and and weren't weren't had n zero awareness. So I said, okay, well, here's twenty of you. Here's here's the beginning. Um, we can start to talk about you know. You should ask as you, when you're filling that prescription, have you had your test done? And you don't even have to say yeah. what the test is, just the test. And the, right. the hope that you send you back to your doctor is that before you swallow this pill, please yes. be sure you have had this test or had a test, right? A specific test. Right. So as a, as a quality improvement exercise, what we're trying to do here in BC is, is raise awareness of this. Uh, one way we've done that is we have a continuing medical education program uh, that is disseminated through email and the internet. To, to our local physicians, um, we, which is entitled something like, I wish I knew that or something. And, and we, we've done a segment on that. Uh, but you're perfectly right that the other groups that should be targeted are the pharmacists, that they should actually be aware of this, intera this interaction or uh, availability of a test yes. to predict the interaction, specifically in Southeast Asians. Um, uh, the other thing we've done is... is uh, is added uh, uh, a letter to the CMAJ and to our provincial, or, and we're planning to do the same thing for our provincial organization. I think there's a number of ways of disseminating this information. Uh, it goes from talking to pharmacists uh, all the way to trying to include this as a warning in your EMR so that when you, you know, uh, on the EMR, click on allopurinol, the question comes up, is the patient East Asian or not? And if so, you should order this test. Right. And wouldn't that be a nice uh, thing at the Chinese Cultural Center? Yes. Uh, uh, pictures and things disseminating to the public because I, what I'm finding as far as medical education is concerned, it is often the public that's educating, not educating us, but demanding us to seek out further education with regard to various topics. Correct. Have you heard of this, doctor? I found this on the internet. Exactly. So do you think you've moved any of public policy in BC? Do you, are you finding, do, are you, do you think there's an increased incidence of the use of the test that you can quantify? Have you seen fewer um, um, East Asians admitted to hospital? Um, what's your sense? So our last uh, review of this, which is in this paper, went back to 2016. So we're now three years later. I can tell you that three years later, we are still seeing patients admitted with this adverse reaction that are East Asian and are of the risk allele. So I, I can tell you for certain that we've not hit so-called 100% compliance, uh, but the graph of utilization is going the right way um, and, and the tests are being ordered more often. Uh, I think it's really hitting the these ancillary using these ancillary techniques that we'll be able to get even higher compliance. That is, uh, eventually integrating this into EMR and uh, ensuring that pharmacists are aware of it. I also wonder if uh, CMPA might be a, a logical place to put a letter. Um, That's an interesting thought. Because this is preventable. It's a preventable disease. And, and if I knew that my doctor hadn't ordered the test yes. and you know, I ended up being blind, um, yep. and the test was easily available for one hundred and forty dollars. Um, I, I'd, I'd be upset about that, particularly given that uh, in two thousand nine it appears in guidelines. Now, you may not expect family physicians to read the American College of Rheumatology guidelines, but you might, you know, with 
proper dissemination of the information through the CMPA, just a letter. I mean, we hear so many things about obstetrical things and things that don't matter to, well, right, they don't right. matter, but don't we don't practice obstetrics as dermatologists. This is one for not dermatologists, but for rheumatologists and family doctors that could just save a life or two. Exactly. So, I mean, when we looked at, at who ordered the test, I mean, it was most commonly ordered by family physicians and rheumatologists. So the right people are starting to order it, but um, it, it's really important that we try that we continue to push and, and advocate essentially for, for 100% compliance as it is done in, in countries like, uh, like Taiwan. Is there any sense of the ethnicity of the physician? Do you think? Um, um, I, we don't have that data. No, not at this point. Um, we, you know, in, in, in BC, we're lucky in that we have a public database. Um, and we are looking at novel ways of identifying ethnicity and ordering of this test uh, with uh, the writing of prescriptions. So we can track the writing of prescriptions. We can now track the ordering of tests. Um, so it's possible that we'll be able to get more data in the near future, uh, linking the two and looking actually at improvements over time. Um, but the, that's a project that, I, that, that, that that's just beginning. Let's talk for a minute about Stevens-Johnson syndrome and, and its immunology and how work like this can help modify it. Are there any other pieces of work that you're aware of that that listeners should be aware of? Right. So the treatment of this disease is something that is uh, a moving target, and it seems to be changing uh, from year to year. I guess the, the basic tenet is that this is an immune reaction where immune cells, mainly T cells, are actually damaging and killing the skin, and that they're driven to do so by a cross-reaction with, uh, with a culprit drug. So the first thing that is important is to recognize the disease and recognize the pattern. If you have someone that presents to the emergency room with, with burning eyes, burning mouth, painful skin, uh, a severe adverse drug reaction should be foremost in your mind. And if that's the case, it's important to be able to get a history either from the, from the patient or from his family as to what drugs he has been taking. We find that these reactions usually occur within three to four or five weeks of the onset of the using a new drug. And so the most important thing is to stop that drug. So we, when we see these patients, we often we stop all drugs that they are been until, we, until the dust settles and we figure out what's actually gone on. So prima facie do no harm, uh, i.e. stop all the drugs that they're on. Now, um, the second thing is we have an opportunity, if we act quickly and early, to maybe stop the damage that the immune system is doing to the skin. And to be, we, we have a, an opportunity to, to actually improve outcomes in that way. How can we stop the immune system from further damaging the skin? Well, current uh, evidence suggests that there are a number of things that we can do. 
One possibility is to start the patient on a medicine that stops the activation of T cells. And that medicine now is called cyclosporin. Uh, over a long term, there's, there's, there have been concerns about toxicity of that drug, but over a short period, it is a safe drug and very effective at stopping the, the immune activation that damages the skin. Uh, there's now also data that maybe the use of uh, chemicals that inhibit cytokines, such as TNF inhibitors, specifically a tannercept, may be of benefit when you give it early on in this disease. There's been a lot of discussion about the value of something called intravenous immunoglobulin and the, the validity of, of the data uh, regarding that and the use of that is still not completely clear. So I would say that's an area where there's still quite a lot of discussion. Similarly with corticosteroids. Steroids are very good at stopping the immune system, but um, really would be best be only used for a very short period because if they're used for longer, they increase the risk of side effects, infections, uh, and, and other toxicities. So I think most important, recognize the pattern of, of a severe drug reaction. That is pain in the eyes, in the mucosa, and on the skin, uh, recognize that that may be due to a drug, and then stop all potential culprit drugs. And then if, uh, if uh, the opportunity arises, use some of these newer strategies to uh, inhibit uh, the activation of the immune system and perhaps prevent further damage. So prevention, prevention, prevention. Correct. And early intervention, right? Don't, don't be afraid. No one is. No one has died from their first dose of cyclosporin. I think this is one of these. Yeah, where 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 you know, being aggressive early pays dividends. Yes. Yep. Yep. And tannercept as well. And we've had some articles in JCMS uh, previously about the use of tannercept. And and clearly, the more aggressive you are, the better. You can always stop. Yep. You can always stop. Well, this is a very nice piece of work. Great clinical pictures. Yes, thank you. Um, and significant advice to those of us that uh, speak to family physicians, that speak to pharmacy groups. And um, I'm going to urge our colleagues to make sure that even at, a, a, at the end of their lecture, even if it's on atopic eczema, um, if it's to the appropriate uh, cultural group, it might well um, be worth a picture and a, and a comment. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. I really appreciated you taking the time out of your day to, to help us understand this. And uh, thanks for, um, for doing this, uh, not just the podcast, but for the work that uh, undoubtedly will save lives. All right. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Dr. Dutz is both a dermatologist and a rheumatologist. He's also the professor and head of the Division of Dermatology and Skin Science at the University of British Columbia. The interview I had with Dr. Dutz today outlined the work that he and his colleagues have presented to us on HLA-B5801 allele genotyping. This is an important issue because SGS and TEN are frightening and mortal illnesses that are preventable and clearly we have a way to prevent it in East Asians by simple blood test. So get out there and uh, spread this word about and bring this article to life and give it even more meaning than it has to us as dermatologists. Speak to your pharmacists, speak to your family practice colleagues, and see if we can't make a difference. 
These articles are going to be available free on jcms.ca for a period of three weeks from the time that the podcasts are uploaded uh, onto your favorite podcast site. So please take the opportunity to read the articles as well for even more information about this important topic. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you once again for listening. And until we meet again, be good to each other.